Welcome to the first ever Beyond the Message experience. Hey, my name is Lockie and I'm so excited to host this environment for us as we help you get practical with your faith. At Beyond, we really believe that the 167 hours beyond Sunday are more important than the one that you're at church because information without application is just a big waste of time. So we've launched this podcast to help you win at faith. Today, we're going to be looking at part one of Scared to Death and we're going to be looking in at the four Monday and expanding upon the application points that Chris gave us on Sunday. And the really simple four Monday that Chris gave us was to identify our fears. So stay tuned and check out the conversation that I have with Chris that's gonna help you leverage the 167 hours beyond the message. To give you the best possible chance at first identifying your fears to then overcoming them, we're gonna get we're gonna ask four questions of the four Monday so that you can crush this week. And I'm joined by Chris Podlick, one of the communicators at Beyond, to ask him some questions about part one of Scared to Death. Chris, how are you going? Mate, I'm great. I'm excited to be here this morning. It is good. And I just wanted to mention for some of the listeners who are on the uh, audio format, not the video, mm. Chris, you're rocking probably one of the biggest Zoom flexes at the moment with a bookshelf behind you now i i own like probably four books um you probably own 400 so you know yeah i wish i kind of could have put placed my camera in a different direction because i've got all my batman photos on this wall that um, would be much better i think you know yeah. we've got some time in our hands i'm sure you could arrange that in for future notes. podcasts i'll flip it around but yeah most of those books were given to me don't let that fool you to think that i'm i've read them all or i'm super intelligent that's <laughs> not the case i know it's all my like my uni lecturers they're all over the kind of bookshelf around the you know the back of them it's a good interview tactic uh technique it makes you look really smart so there's your good it also um, stops distracting me when I'm working because if I have all the titles looking at me, I'm like, oh, maybe I could read that. It'd distract me from what I need to do. So. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, look, I'm going to ask you four questions about your message that you gave. Cool. And uh, it's going to give everyone a really practical insight of how to actually apply our four Monday, which is really easy to identify your fear. So question number one, really simple. How am I actually able to identify fear? It's a good one. And that we kind of we mentioned on the weekend and if people weren't there that's that's totally okay it's great that you're tuning in we sort of said that the first step to overcoming fear is to beginning is beginning to understand what fear is and so it kind of gave a definition that fear is an emotion um, which means it's it's something that um, can feel different for different people and the analogy that i gave was um, <clears throat> a fear of fear of flying like i'm terrified of flying but other people might not be so other people, if they're sitting on a plane on the runway ready to take off, they won't have that emotion that I do. All the um, sweats, it, Chris. All the sweats. Is it a, is it a yes. back sweat, just real quick? It's it's more of a pit and a hand sweat. Okay, interesting. Yeah, no, not a lot of back sweat, but pit and hands go, oh, they go nuts. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Um, so it's an emotion caused by the belief of looming potential loss. Now, it's important to sort of clarify that, that their fear is... Um, psychologists put fear into two main categories. So rational or irrational, um, irrational fears. They're kind of what we call phobias. Um, there is a lot of fear that we have in our life. That's rational. That's normal. That's healthy. So a rational fear is like when we, um, we see a threat that we have to, that's real, that we have to protect ourselves from. Um, so, so just a really simple example, 
might be if you're kicking the footy with your mates and someone accidentally kicks it at your head, that's a real threat. And so you kind of move out, your body responds, you move out of the way. Could be if you're like driving uh, down the road and you see someone run a red light, like that's a real threat that you have to swerve uh, to get out of the way of. Um, this can also like rational fears can also include being afraid of certain situations. So for example, like sleeping in the dark and flying can be considered rational fears. Like, I wouldn't say that my fear of flying goes all the way to being a phobia because I, I can function. I can get on a plane. Um, but, but I am, I, I'm probably, yeah, it is more exacerbated than others, but irrational fears, their phobias, that's something that we fear, even though there's no direct threat to us. Um, so often these are things caused by traumas in our life. Um, but this could be, it could also be for, to take that fear of flying example we've been using. This could be a phobia that someone um, is just gets petrified every time they think of flying or um, really starts to get that emotional response, even when they're thinking um, of flying. So um, yeah, so th those are kind of the two, uh, the two things and, um, and, and ways in which fear kind of manifests itself. Yeah. Well, just to give some clarity to the listeners, um, I've got a fear in my life and I'm, I'm a bit unsure whether it's irrational or rational. Cause when I was about 17 or 18, I had about four really hard phone calls in the space of a couple of weeks. And they're just those hard conversations that you, um, yeah, you'd rather have in person or, you know, someone mm -hmm. calls you up and says, you know, we need to talk. And they were, they were really hard phone calls. Um, I'm sure we've all been there, but they happen pretty close and uh, pretty close together. So for a couple of years, every time the phone rang, um, I got just super scared. And often it was just someone checking in with me. How are you going? Or asking me a really simple question, but I built it up to be something incredibly bad that I was in trouble or that something really hard was going to happen. So is that irrational or irrational? Yeah, that's a good, that's a good question. Not all irrational fears are phobias. So not all irrational fears are phobia. So I think that the good, the, the thing to highlight there is that an irrational fear is, is something we fear even though there's no direct threat to us. So for example, the phone rings uh, in, in your particular situation and you actually don't know who's on the other end. So it could be a threat, but the reality is it's, it's not a direct threat to you. Like it's a conversation that it's not going to kill you by having it. It's not going to harm you potentially by having it. But you know, if you were to perhaps um, it might damage a relationship and so I think often what we do is we kind of build our fears up um, to be something that they're not. And, and what we sort of spoke about on, on the weekend uh, or on the, during the message is that um, the best way to help you kind of identify your fear is once you've kind of you understand what it is, is to normalize it. And, and I don't mean normalize as in downplay or underplay or minimize. Um, I mean normalize in the sense of understanding that fear is actually a thing seeking control. Um, and, and I use that like that language, like fear is a thing to help us get a handle on the idea that feel fear feels like something that's kind of separate to us. Like it feels like, you know, like you, like you were saying for yourself and what, for my, for myself, when I'm sitting on a plane, like it feels like, Oh, I don't normally feel like this. I don't normally get worked up about feel like an out of body experience a little bit. Yeah. It can definitely feel like that at times. Um, and, and it almost feels like, Oh, there's something happening to me that's, that's, if I had my own way, I would not respond this way. Um, and so making fear a thing, I think allows us to, to disassociate from it and kind of start to talk about it. Hey, it's this thing out here that, um, that I can address in a more healthy um, way. And when we believe that, that 
we um, that we're not the only person dealing with it, that allows us to respond in a really healthy way as well. I think one of the most unhealthy things we can do is to believe the lie or believe the temptation that our situation or our fear is unique. Okay. I think that there's a distinction in that individuals are unique, but 90% of the time, 99% of the time, our situations and our circumstances are not. Someone has gone through and sat in a plane and been afraid of flying and felt uncomfortable, just like I have other people like you have had their phone ring and been, um, you know, been afraid to answer it or not sure how to answer it, just like you have, Locke. And, um, and when we begin to normalize and say, hey, you know what, this is actually something a lot of other people deal with. What that become, begins to do is say, hey, this thing that causes me to fear doesn't have to be that way because other people have overcome it. So I can begin to look it in the eye and challenge it as well. Definitely. And when we normalize it, we're more likely to talk about it. And when I tell someone about my fear, they, they often tell me, oh, yeah. I've either experienced that or something very similar that actually creates the same emotion. Um, so yeah, that's really great. It's a gateway to our, lots of healthy conversations. Sorry, I jumped in over you there. No, you're good. Well, actually, it kind of leads to our second question, which is what happens when I don't identify my fears? What's the implications and the repercussions of not identifying my fears? Um, well, the simplest thing is that they stay in the dark uh, and and you and nothing, nothing changes and, and you... Uh, fail to address them head on. You know, I love this image of um, in John, you know, John's gospel talks about um, or John's biography rather on the life of Jesus talks about um, Jesus as being the word or Jesus as being the light. Um, a song that I uh, really resonated with me on the back end of last year. I think it's by Mosaic originally, but Phil Wickham does a cover of it. It's called Tremble. Tremble. And great song. Banger of a song. Bain, actually from our own beyond community. Just he does that song. I would say better than Phil, but. You Harry can. crushes it. Every time I'm side stage listening to that, I get goosebumps. But um, yeah, so it, there's this lyric in it. It says, your name is a light that the shadows can't deny. And John talks about it um, in his gospel in the, in the opening couple of verses that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. And so I think um, what happens when we don't identify our fears is that our, our fears remain hidden and they, um, they tend to, to keep us in darkness. Now, obviously, John is talking about more than just fear, okay? And that I, I get that if there's some people listening to it. He's like, he's not talking about just fear. I, I get that. Um, but he is saying that, there are, that essentially things are better when they're brought to the light, and particularly when Jesus shines light on, on particular things. So um, one, one thing that happens, and I think there's an there's a exercise um, that's really helpful to do that can actually help our listeners identify what happens when they don't identify their fears. Um, there's a, there's a Ted talk, um, given by a really famous podcast, a personality, his name's Tim Ferriss. Um, and Tim Ferriss, he subscribes to a lot of stoic philosophy and I, I don't share the same, um, views as Tim on stoic philosophy, but I think some of these, uh, his applications around fear is really helpful. And, and Tim talks about this idea of fear setting. So in other words, he says, um, it's actually really, really beneficial not to hide from our fears, but to identify them. And so what, what he says to do is um, to actually identify the fear and say, what if I, and insert your fear in the blank. So let's, let's take it. Um, let's take it for us. You know, like, like we would say like, what if I was to answer that phone or what if I was to go on that um, flight? 
And then he says to define, there's, there's three things that three columns that you do after this. So the first is define and you list what are all the, all the things that uh, could happen if you were to, to get on that plane. Um, I mean, obviously one of them is, is crashing. Yep. So is it just yeah. saying it like that? It is. It's saying like, what are the worst case, all, all the things that could potentially happen, you know, the, yeah, the I mean, I've, I have seen a few episodes of I Shouldn't Be Alive and uh, I could tell you a few things that could happen, Chris. So is it like you write that down? Yep, you write it, you write it all down, all the things that, that could happen. Um, and then in the next category, you look at the things that you could prevent. Like what are the things that could prevent that from happening? Well, one of the things that could prevent the plane from crashing is that you have a really highly skilled and highly trained person piloting the plane that's often the case isn't it yeah um you don't put me in charge of the plane i'm in the back where i should be in my seat sweating um <laughs> and then uh then the final column is you look at the repair process so what what could happen and and say a worst case scenario happened now a plane is a, is a perhaps a bad example um but perhaps uh you, one of one of it is having a difficult conversation what if i was to have that difficult conversation um, well, you define all the things that could potentially happen and it might be, well, that person doesn't want to be my friend anymore. Okay. That, what would I do to prevent that in, in terms of maybe the tone I use or the approach that I use to the conversation. And if they did sort of say that, or, or, the, or they were hurt, their feelings were hurt. What's a way I could repair or what's a way I could go back and begin to navigate through that. Then he, then he actually says, this is not a separate column, but this is a, a separate line altogether. What are the benefits of me doing that? So for example, let's, let's forget about the fears of, you know, all the things that could go wrong. Let's say, Hey, what happens if this conversation went really well? What, what, what would be the benefits of it? Um, yeah. I mean, like for me having hard conversations, it strengthens your character. Like by actually in engaging and not running away from hard conversations, I come out a better person all the time. I think for me, that's a massive, massive plus. And I, um, you know, I need to write that down rather than, than sweat when the phone rings. And, and you never know the benefit that it could have for the person that you're having the conversation with as well. You know, like f maybe for them, they're like, oh, wow. Like I'd been thinking about that myself and I didn't know if anyone else saw that about me. I'm so glad that we had this conversation or, or maybe, you know, like um, Emma and I have conversations, difficult conversations all the time. And, and so often... Um, when one of us shares, you know, something that we're working through or something that's on our mind, you know, the amount of times the other person in the relationship goes, yeah, you know what? I've noticed that too. And ah, that's something I've been struggling with as well. Mm. And you think, oh, wow, I'm not alone anymore. I'm not isolated. We're in this together. Yeah. Um, actually, it reminds me, you know, a few probably series back of a, I think it's a Riley Brown quote, um, talking about, you know, impressing each other with your strengths, but connecting with your weaknesses. And I feel when you're, when you're real vulnerable in this setting, I know it's a bit off topic now, but we actually do connect and we find that ability to uh, really get to know other people when we approach difficult conversations like that or actually approach our fears. Well, I think, I don't necessarily know if it's even off topic because the final part of what Tim Ferriss says in terms of fear setting is he actually says what, what he gets people to do is, is actually list the cost of inaction. So the cost of inaction over six months, 12 months and three years. Hmm. And some of those things can actually be like what you were, what you were talking about is that we never actually work on our weaknesses that we never learn, excuse me, to have difficult um, conversations. Some of it, uh, some of those costs could be that we just remain the same 
person that we don't actually get any closer to Jesus, that we, you know, our faith is exactly the same six months ago as it is today. Yeah, definitely. And, and God loves us too much. Like he loves us full stop, but he loves us too much to leave us where we are. So that leads me to believe that this is a really good process that we've got to work out what the, you know, the cost of inaction is. One thing I, I really like is that um, Tim Ferriss, I assume he comes from a non-Christian perspective. Is that right, Chris? Yeah. Yeah, he does. Yeah. So he, he's got this formula, this method that I think is going to really work for a lot of um, people listening. But one thing that he, he misses out on is the superpower that we're sitting on. And that is Jesus. Yep. Um, and, and Jesus is amazing. Um, but Chris, for question number three, I want to ask, you know, why is Jesus's death and resurrection so important when it comes to overcoming fear? Well, put simply, and we, we sort of touched on this, um, during the message is that God's love gives fear something to fear. Um, now that sounds corny. I understand it. I get it. But in, um, in one John four, eight, we were looking at that. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Gee, that's something you could put on a mug. It is. I'm sure people have put it on a mug. John was a creative guy, but I really think we've got to stop thinking this idea. And uh, it's something that one of the narratives of our culture is, is love says that everything's okay and you can do whatever you want to do. And I can do whatever I want to do. Um, But really the kind of love that God's talking about is actually a love that challenges a love that pushes a love that actually calls us to, um, to be better and maybe work on some of those things. And often I think, and this, this could be a controversial statement, but I think some of the ways in which our culture in general, um, and I'm not bashing on culture, it's just an observation is, is culture kind of says, Oh, I love you. You can kind of be and do and, and feel whoever you want to, uh, to be. What that actually is, is a masquerade for, not having difficult conversations and not challenging people and not calling people to live a higher standard. Um, Cause so it says, well, I love you. So I won't, I won't impinge on your freedom, but love actually kind of gives some really um, kind of li- does limit our freedom in some senses. I mean, Jesus, the ultimate act of love limited his freedom by dying on a cross. Um, if you, you know, like in, in my, uh, like for Emma and I, like we're married and we love each other. But there are some, if you're married, there are some freedoms that you have to take away. You know, you, you love the other person. You don't go sliding into someone else's DMs. You don't have a Tinder account. You don't have all that stuff, which that's some freedoms that you take away. And so um, that's really important for us to understand that God's love gives fear something to fear uh, because it is a perfect picture of love. And Paul even sort of talks about that in Romans 8.35, that because of this love that gave up for us, like what shall separate us from the love of Christ? And he asked that question. He's kind of like challenging. He's like, okay, well, if this love really does give fear, something to fear, then what's going to separate you from it? And, um, and I like how in Romans, he, we looked at this verse, he sort of says, you know, shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sore. And that's in Romans 8.35 in, um, in, in Paul's second letter to the church that um, was at Corinth, uh, he actually gives a far more detailed list of the kind of brief overview that he gave in Romans. And he, Paul would have written his letter to the Corinthians before he wrote the letter to the Romans. Um, but some of Paul's hardships are not just not getting enough likes on Instagram. Or yeah, not having- just for reference, like this is a good, you know, just 
before Chris says it, it's a good list to read um, before complaining. I think about, I, I complain a bit about church and some, maybe some uh, things that are going wrong. Um, but yeah, I'm just having a quick look at this. Chris, go for it. Cause it's putting a lot of things in perspective. Well, he says, you know, in this list, he says, you know, I've been whipped so many times. I can't remember. Um, five times he goes, I remember I actually got 39 lashes. The Jewish leaders kind of sentenced me to 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Um, one time I got stoned and I nearly died. Three times I got shipwrecked. And one time I was adrift at sea for 24 hours. Gee, once again, uh, that sounds a lot like I shouldn't be alive. The, uh, the TV show. Yeah. And so just to put it into context, when Paul asks that question, what shall separate us from the love of God? This is the backdrop he's got in mind. He's like stonings can't, whippings can't, shipwrecks can't, near death can't. He's like, what's, gonna, what's going to stop us? Um, and so, and that is all because of the power of Jesus's death and resurrection. Cause Paul was able to look um, fear in the, in the eyes and say, well, nothing's, um, nothing's going to stop me. And that's why um, in Romans eight thirty one, which is kind of the, um, where we finished on the weekend is the idea that like, if God is for us, who can be against us? In other words, if Jesus was able to overcome death, really what, what is going to, what is going to stop God's love embracing us. What is going to stop God from loving us if death couldn't even do it? Yeah. And the translation here I've got is if God is for me, there's no fear that can rule me. Mm. And we talked about before, what was it about fear really controlling us? Like that's fear's goal is to control us. And it doesn't even say like the thing that gets me, it doesn't say, Oh, well fear isn't controlling me because God's controlling me. It's actually saying God is for me. Like he wants the best me. He wants me to win. Um, there's no control in that from God's end. It's actually just pure love and his love therefore drives out fear. That's just the full circle. It really fits in there. And, and that translation kind of gets us to, to think of, we're worried about some of the fears that we have. Um, and again, not minimizing them or downplaying them. But if we actually ask that question, well, if God really is for us, if that means that we believe in a God who has the power to overcome even the grave, what does that say about the thing that I think is against me, this fear that I think is against me? Like, is it worthwhile me worrying about it? And ultimately the answer is, well, no. Um, and it's pos- and it's not that thing uh, shouldn't rule us. Like you said. Yeah, definitely. And to wrap us up with our four questions for our four Monday with question number four, I do realize that was a lot of fours. Um, the question is this, what can I do this week to overcome fear? And we are really going to touch on these super practical applications. So if you can only listen for two minutes, this is the time you listen. Chris, what do you got for us? Yeah, on the, um, in the message, we looked at this kind of a fear hierarchy that Dr. Carl Albrecht sort of put out. And um, he looked at, there were, there are five. He just, of, sorry, he just sounds really smart. He sounds like the kind of does. guy that would have a bookshelf behind him on Zoom. <laughs> he definitely, I'm sure he would. Um, I'm sure he would if we could talk to him. <laughs> But he listed these five fears as like extinction, mutilation, autonomy, separation, and ego. They were sort of the leveling fears. And extinction is um, pretty much you, you die or you don't exist. Mutilation is often associated with the fear of bugs or spiders that, that our body won't function in a, in a way that it normally did. Um, autonomy is the fear of um, that something outside of us will control us. That's where you get fears like hoarding. Um, you get fears like, you know, ridiculous st- savings and people who... Um, uh, who people who don't like to spend money because they're like, well, if something happens, worst case scenario, I need to control it. Even like workaholic, is that the kind of 
fear that, that would yeah, drive. yeah, yeah. No, that definitely is a, is a fear of, um, well, if I stop working, then something outside might control that and dictate terms. Um, then there's separation, whether that's separation from a loved one or out of a relationship or something like that. And then finally, uh, fear of ego, that loss of ego. And I think that's um, one of the, uh, it's at the top of the, the pyramid. Um, but that is things like um, when we have to, someone, someone says it's maybe some of the way in which we've had a conversation. Um, the, the way in which we had that conversation wasn't caring or loving. And we like to think of ourselves as a caring and loving person. At, at that point in time, we, we can either say, oh, well, maybe I'm not as caring and loving as I think, or in that moment, I wasn't as caring and loving as I thought. Or we can choose to say, no, I, I don't agree with that. I'm not going to address that and keep moving on. So those are the, um, those are the things we looked at. And I think what we sort of said and what I spoke about in the message was, um, as we were talking about some of our fears, it's natural for us to kind of think, okay, well, where does my fears fit into in those categories on the uh, fear hierarchy? And what I really wanted to get practical with our listeners was, is I wanted to just give a kind of a scriptural truth. That if you want to, you can find a specific verse, but these are more general um, scriptural truths that, that God says about us that if you are, um, once you've identified your fear and you see which category it's in, you can speak it, um, speak this truth to your fear this week. So, um, in the ego category, I would say that the truth that you can speak this week is to just say that you're enough. Like God says you're enough that no matter what your ego says, no matter what your fear, uh, your vulnerability says, um, no matter if you're like, Oh, I'm afraid to have that conversation. God says, Hey, no, you're enough. You know, you don't need to create a false image. You are enough. I love that. Because even, you know, for me answering the phone, even if it was, Hey, you've lost your job. You're not good enough. God still says you're enough. He doesn't turn around and go, actually, you know what? Your boss was right. You aren't good enough. His, his line doesn't change through yep. the deepest and darkest of our times or sin. Um, that remains the same, which I think is just fantastic. And um, so under separation, um, you know, the, the truth that God speaks into that fear is that I'm always with you. And no, no matter what happens, I'm here and I'm going to be with you all the time into the idea of autonomy and um, that fear of autonomy and maybe hoarding and holding onto the stuff. Uh, God says, I hold the world in my hands. In other words, I'm, I'm the one who has ultimate control over, over this situation into that, that fear of, um, of mutilation and maybe losing something functioning with our body. Um, God actually says, you didn't chose me. I chose you. So I chose you before I chose you when I knew excuse me, everything that was going to happen to your life. So you didn't choose me. I picked you first. And when it comes to um, our fear of dying or extinction, God says, well, I conquered death. So you don't need to fear that because I've conquered it and you will, because you follow me, conquer it too. So those, um, those truths again, really quick is ego to ego. God says you're enough to separation. God says, I'm always with you to autonomy. God says, I, I hold the world in my hands to mutilation. God says, you did not choose me. I chose you. And to extinction, God says, I conquered death. That's really good. And I think for people who are looking for that next step to go practical, whether it's in your daily devotion or just in some spare time you've got, is to actually look through, go on Google, search, search those phrases and look where they come out in the Bible. And, and what I find really great um, and really practical for me is just looking at a scripture or a chapter that relates to that and sitting and reading the whole thing. So I think of autonomy there. I hold the world in my hands. Uh, Matthew 6 talks a lot about do not worry. And when we're in such a time where there's so much worry, for some of us, we don't know 
potentially where the next paycheck's coming from. And there's some really practical things we're dealing with just to go back to those scriptures and look at it um, can be really helpful. But Chris, just to clarify, when we're talking about speaking to our fear, is that, is that like what we'd call positive self-talk? Is that a prayer? What does that actually look like? What does it look like for me to tell my ego, no, you are enough because God says so? Yeah, I think it's more so reminding ourselves of God's perspective of ourselves um, and God's perspective on us. Paul says, um, and Paul writes that like we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, which means um, that oftentimes the, the reason that we're afraid is because we've let uh, fear begin to, to control our thinking. Maybe we've let our own um, desires begin to control our thinking. And so this is not about positive self-talk. It's more about reminding ourselves of who God is, um, who he says he is and what he's going to do for us um, as opposed to positive self-talk. We're reminding ourselves of who the author of life is and, uh, and our relationship to him. Awesome. Well, that is a fantastic note to wrap up on. Four questions for your for Monday, hoping to give you some really practical steps and tools to actually work out how you can identify your fears. So we look forward to giving you part two and part three of Scared to Death. Chris, you'll be back next week. I will. Um, which will be great. But you know what? Thanks for coming on here for the first one. I had a great time. I'm, uh, I'm excited to uh, see where this uh, podcast goes and really excited to uh, and helpfully, hopefully um, our listeners leverage the 167 hours they have to uh, begin to follow Jesus. Awesome. Well, we'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning in to the Beyond the Message podcast. We really hope that you got some value out of the conversation that I have with Chris and that this week you can start making some steps in the 167 hours to strengthen your faith. Check out the rest of our messages and we'll see you next week for Beyond the Message. See you later.